Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one on another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let, it, let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm told many people wish that some part of their body was larger. I think that's probably true. And that part is the imagination. The imagination. And I want you to travel back in time using your imagination to over 2,000 years ago. It's a Friday. It's the Jewish Passover. And there, outside the city walls, three men are crucified. The two thieves and Jesus Christ in the middle. And this reading is about the tragedy, the tragedy, death, not yet the triumph of Easter and the resurrection. And so, using your imagination, at the sixth hour came over all the whole land until the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Samasaktani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray before I start? Father God, we just pray that you'll come and open your word to us. Jesus, we invite you into this place. God, send your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth in your scripture. Take the words I've prepared, Lord, and, um, and just use them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so the Gospel reading today was a, um, a pivotal point in the whole of the Bible. Everything that came before was building up to that point, and everything that came afterwards was pivoting on that moment of Jesus on the cross. In history, that would be like the Wright brothers' first flight, I don't know, Marconi's first transatlantic communication, Alexander Graham Bell's first phone call, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That was the point, Jesus on the cross. That was the point where the veil was torn and the full heart and presence of God's love for mankind was revealed. When I was 15, on Mother's Day, I remember it really well because it wasn't a good Mother's Day for my mother, um, I had two mates. They turned up on motorbikes. I've never ridden a motorbike before. I will probably never ride one again, um, as this story will tell, tell you why. Um, I was... They turned up on motorbikes and said, are you coming out? And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. I've never been on a motorbike before. I'm 15. It's, it's great. I've got exams coming up, but that doesn't matter. I'm going out on a motorbike. So I get on the back of this bike. I, where I lived was, um, there was a new housing development. It was still being built, and it backed onto some heathland. So we zoomed up the road, me hanging on for dear life, big smile on my face, this is really scary, I can't take this anymore. And we get there, and they stop, and they're riding up and down, they said, do you want to go? Oh, well, it's a bit like a red rag to a bull with me, anyone who knows me, I will try anything, just once. Um, sometimes to my detriment, and this was one of those times. Um, I get on the motorbike, they said, right, to ride a motorbike, all you've got to do is you've got to put it into gear, hold that handle in that side, hold the brake this side, give it a little bit of revs and release the clutch, get it in gear and off you go. Well that's great because that's exactly what I did. I got on, I let the clutch out gently and I started to move. This was amazing. I had no helmet on, I was flying across the heat. <laughs> and it was cut. This was great. Wind in my hair and I thought this is brilliant. I got to the end and I, it somehow slowed round and I went in a big circle and I came screaming back and I thought, I know what, I'm going to see if I can get into second gear. Because this is great, I've done it in first gear now. So, and I kick it up, I said, I don't know, it's something like that. They told me how to do it, however, like I said, I haven't ridden a motorbike since, I kicked it up. I was going really, well, probably 20 miles now, but it seemed really fast. With no helmet on, I was flying towards them. It was at that moment that I realised they hadn't told me how to stop this thing. <laughs> and I'm going... <laughs> And it, what was a journey really exciting and fun suddenly became really quite scary because there was a great big mound of dirt by where they were standing and I was heading straight for it. And I hit that thing, I took off, I flew through the air, the bike kicked me up the backside, I landed on my face and I have scar there and scar on the top lip to prove that I was wearing no helmet, I was riding a motorbike and I didn't know what I was doing. So what does that... Mean. Well, I think, how often do we go through life like that? We get on life, we're born, and we're careering along, and then we realise we're not really fully in control, and we want to get off. And hopefully by the end of the talk, you'll see why the significance of the cross of Jesus 
is so key to that. That discovery of the cross of Jesus changed my life about, I think it was about 20 years ago. So I'm not telling you something that I haven't tested. This, I wouldn't be stood here today if I had tested this and found it wanted. My dad was an atheist, um, is still an atheist. In fact, he gives me a very hard time, the fact that I now work for a church. Um, However, I've tested the gospel of Jesus Christ and found it not wanting. I've found it hard at times, but not wanting. So why was the crucifixion? Why was the crucifixion so pivotal? We need to go back into the Bible a little bit. Um, I suppose back to Genesis, when God created mankind, or humankind. I must get this politically correct. So when God created humankind, he created man and woman, and he gave them just one set of rules, not to eat from a particular tree. Um, man was deceived, and broke that only thing. Man turned their back on God. Before that, man had walked with God in the garden. If we look in uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. Man was actually created to walk with God at the beginning. We were created to walk with God. That's why sometimes, if we're not walking with God now, we find it really difficult. Because God, when he created man, wanted to be our friend. But we turned our back on him. And it got worse, because God then set us free to live our lives however we wanted. And it got worse and worse. And if you read through the Old Testament, there's a whole load of battles and people getting killed and people hating someone else and hating someone else and killing them. And it's still going on today. If we look out, you leave mankind to itself, you get, you get men trying to take control of the world. God chose a people at the beginning of the time, the Israelites, and he gave them a set of rules. Um, lots of people know them as the Ten Commandments, but actually there's more than that. They're the first five books of the Bible. There's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, which is the Jewish law. And they weren't really rules to make life hard for man. They were rules actually to protect man from hurting others and hurting themselves. Probably more like a guardrail. If, if there had been more obstacles leading up to that lump of mud that I hit, um, I might have not gone so fast across the dirt in the first place, and I might not have got hurt as badly. Um, but, so, the rules in the Bible are actually there to help protect us, to slow us down, so that we don't go careering over a cliff and hurt ourselves. And in order for the Jewish people to understand the seriousness of sin, God put in place um, a ritual, a sacrifice ritual, which was to sacrifice animals, something that was precious to them, so that they would understand how hard it was on God 
our sin. So they would kill an animal, and that would give them temporary covering from sin. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. It's finished. And so we get to this point of Jesus on the cross. Jesus, fully man and fully God. He was without sin. He was blameless. He was precious. Yet he was betrayed and came to the ultimate separation from God. When he cried out on the cross, it was probably the most painful time in his life because at that point, he'd actually had the whole sin of the world from creation to that point, all sin and future on his shoulders. And his father could not bear sin because he's holy. At that point, Jesus was alone completely alone. His disciples had abandoned him. He'd been convicted unfairly. He'd been beaten, spat upon. He'd had a crown of thorns put on his head. He had had people mocking him, dividing his clothing up. Yet the worst thing was probably the separation from God because of all of the sin. He cried out. In 2 Peter, in 2 Peter we read, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, so he suffered on the cross, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth, a perfect sacrifice. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate, he just loved. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He chose to go to the cross for our sins. He, bore him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God is calling us back so that we can walk with him. As we walked in the garden with him at creation. And Jesus cried his last breath is finished. But before he cried, or after he cried, the centurion said, a centurion who stood and watched him die. Surely this man was the son of God. We need to remember, this is the centrality of the faith, that Jesus was the son of God. The only one who could take all the sin. And all we need to do is turn to him for forgiveness. All we need to do is say, Jesus... I accept you were the Son of God and I come to you and I repent of my sin. All that I've done wrong and then we can start to walk with Jesus again. We can walk with God in the way we were created. But what if you've come to that point already? We need to come to him. Sin is such a huge stumbling block. What's the Bible say? about sin, how we should deal with sin. First, 
We must put to death the sinful nature. In Colossians 3 verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. We need to stop. We need to turn. Because God's calling us to a better life, a life of freedom, and a life, a create, the life that he created us to have. And sin gets in the way of that. Secondly, it says, cast off sin. So that the sin that so easily entangles in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with the perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Notice that last line, so you won't grow weary and lose heart. The sin entangles us and holds us back in life. And we're trying to fight forward, but we're being held back by that sin that is entangling us. We need to turn back to God and say, I'm sorry, at that point in time. We need to cut sin off. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Really tough passage, that one. However, I don't believe God was telling us to actually physically chop our hands off. But I think what he was trying to say was sin and stopping sin sometimes hurts. I I, I gave an example earlier because I've got some friends in this situation at the moment, of, uh, um, the sin of adultery. He should, my, my friend who is in a, an adulterous relationship, who is a Christian, should break that relationship and go back to his wife. And that's going to be hard on him, because he's got to cut off something that he's developed and made precious. But God wants him to walk with him for fullness of life. And finally, flee from sin. Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who are called. Jesus has forgiven us, and if we come to him, he will forgive us. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. When you look at a perished hot water bottle, it still looks like a hot water bottle. If you fill a perished hot water bottle up and cuddle it, It's not a very good hot water bottle. In fact, you get soggy, it's uncomfortable, and it's horrible. A Christian living in sin is like that perished hot water bottle. They still look like a hot water bottle. But they're not effective. 
They're making soggy messes everywhere. That's what is so exciting as well, a baptism. Dying to sin, being raised into new life. That's, the, that's what baptism is about. It's about dying to your old self and being raised to new life in that moment. When, you, when you've said to God, look, Jesus, I love you and I want to follow you. The waters of baptism wash away the sins of before. The Bible says, believe and be baptised. It's so great to see little Oliver playing with the water. It was fantastic. And an illustration just going around where he was playing with a candle. It was dangerous, wasn't it? And we all said, oh, stop. That's the, that is the, um, like the rules. Why God has put rules in our lives is so that we don't get hurt with candles. Except they're a little bit more complicated than the can holding a bit of flame. Remember, he did it for you. We read on in, in, in the Bible passage in Mark that the, that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It would have been a curtain similar to that. But behind there would have been what the Jewish people called the Holy of Holies. And it's where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. And that's where God's presence was. All of his glory was behind that curtain. And no one could go into that place at any point. So when the curtain was torn, not from bottom to top by man, because if I was to tear a curtain, it would be from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, by God opening the way, he was saying, you can come into my presence and into my glory. That's the symbolism at that point. When Jesus died, taking our sin, God took that curtain, he ripped it open, he said, you can now come into my presence. You can come and walk with me as we would walk in the beginning, in the garden. Jesus chose to take the sin of the world on his shoulders so that we could walk with God again. Fantastic news. That's what I found when I came to faith, that this is fantastic news. The good news of the gospel is that I can come before God. Each of us can come before God. We can all receive that moment, that precious gift where God says, I want to walk with you again. Sin holds us back. This, this morning when we were coming here, um, I live a long way away, I got caught behind the biggest boat I've ever seen. It took over two lanes, two carriageways, and I was on, stuck behind this massive cure traffic. And that boat, we couldn't go round it, couldn't go forward, but it was holding me up. And I was getting stressed because I was preaching at the nine o'clock service as well. So I was kind of, but sometimes in life we feel held back 
And that boat is like sin in our lives. And we just need to stop it, turn from it, bring it to Jesus. It disappears. And you get here on time. (laughs) And I did make it. So this is the good news. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can come into the presence of God once more. We can walk with Jesus once more. We need to live our lives in a way that is fitting. But once we do, we start the most exciting journey of our lives. So exciting. If I told you what my life has been like since I came to faith, it is amazing. And the fact that I'm stood here today is just, I can't believe that I'm stood here in Portsmouth, having been born and brought up in Bournemouth. And, and when I came to faith, I, I, I just can't even begin to tell you the, the things that have happened that have changed me. But I've seen God move in such amazing ways and such power to change lives. And that's what you've got on offer here today. Sound like the QVC salesman. But that is what you've got here today. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And Jesus is still crying out for each one of you today. Every single one of you. He's crying out, come to me because I love you and I want to know you. Come and turn from your sins and live an exciting journey. Because I found that to be true. Have you heard that cry today? Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that you set us free. Lord, we need to turn to you. I turn to you afresh today because I know that you love me. And I know that the journey that you have is so exciting. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. If you'd like to find out more, at the end of the service, there's be people in the corner to pray with you. Um, If you'd like to pray with someone, please do. Thank you.